Okay, this morning we are in Hebrews chapter 3. Okay, Hebrews 3, starting with verse 5. Remember we were last week talking about the analogy between Christ and Moses, and the author of Hebrews pointing out the superiority of Christ. It's not that Moses wasn't uh, important in God's uh, working in the Old Covenant, but that Christ is even greater than Moses. So, Hebrews 3, 5. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Okay, there, we, on the surface here we see a couple of obvious contrasts in these two verses. Notice Moses is faithful in his house. Christ is faithful over his house. Moses was a faithful as a servant. Christ is faithful as a son. So we see two contrasts of superiority here. In over is more for, this is a greater position than being in, and being a son is greater than being a servant. Not that this belittles Moses' great role, but it exalts Christ. This is an allusion to Numbers 12.7 from the Septuagint, which we looked up last week, but let me do that again, Numbers 12.7, because that's where you have the mention of Moses' house. Here it says, Not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. But in the Septuagint, you have the word house. It says here he's a servant in the house. Now, the servant there, this word in the Greek is only used once in the New Testament. And Lane says that here it means an honored servant. But it is used in the Septuagint of Numbers 12.7. So that's why that's where this... Obviously, it's come from. It's also used in Exodus 14:31, Numbers 11:11, 11, 11, but only here in the New Testament. And it means an honored servant, so it's not belittling Moses; it's giving him a place of honor. But nevertheless, he's a servant, and not a son, in the same way that Messiah is. And here it says, "For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later." What are the things which were to be spoken later? Yeah, the, the New Covenant. Remember Moses prophesied that one would come later that we should listen to him, that God would raise up a prophet like Moses and we should listen to him. That's in Deuteronomy 18. 18, very, very important section. I was just working on the PowerPoint for the conference on Saturday. I'm going to have to come down here and do a dry run because I'm not sure I can give that message in an hour or so. I've got to find out just how long it takes and maybe have the PowerPoint going so without rushing we'll see how far I get but I'm going to basically go through the whole scripture on what it means to discern spirits how do you know if a spirit is from God or not and a message spoken by a spirit then we end up the, the end of the whole thing is up in Deuteronomy 18 I started to know it and ended up in the old and we end up in Deuteronomy 18 and I teach right through Deuteronomy 18 and the key thing about this things to be spoken later is that the alternative in Deuteronomy 18 was to listen to what God spoke through Moses and the Old Testament prophets that were the valid ones and then ultimately listen to the prophet who will speak fully from God when he comes. The alternative was divination. In divination was man's attempt to gain spiritual insight by various techniques we were talking about that on the radio yesterday. And all forms of divination are forbidden in the scriptures. And I'll be talking about that Saturday. Uh, Kathy and then Brian. How do you deal with someone who is into that? Well, uh, I was doing that on the radio. We get people, there's a lot of Christians into it. We have to make it clear, as that's why we're doing a conference. Brian 
was very articulate, Brian Flynn, that when you get into this realm of the spirits, these things are very good at deceiving. And they will come in whatever form you think God would speak to you in. If you're a Catholic, Mary will come to you. If you're a Protestant, Jesus will come to you. And uh, if you're a Mormon, who knows? Whatever you're in, these spirits will come in that form and give you information. Because it's their job to deceive. And they're not going to come, obviously, acting like the devil. And as Brian said, when he was in familiar spirits, they were very pleasant, very comforting, very helpful, until they decided to repent. And then, and then they turned against him. So, divination is forbidden for the simple reason that if we go into that realm, we will get deceived. And the alternative to divination is listening to the objective message of God that's given through his ordained spokespersons which was Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament, and Messiah and the apostles in the New. You go outside of that, and you're dipping into things that are, are forbidden. Right. All right. There was a caller yesterday. And you'll remember that she was asking the question. She said that, uh, well, you want to be silent because you want to hear God's answer. And then you, you answer something. I think it kind of took her by surprise because I think she was really sitting there waiting for a bottle yeah. something in her, in her head or something. And uh, did you recall that? What did I, I remember her thing. What did I tell her? Basically, we pray and the answer right. comes through as you go on in life. Yeah, and, and, and She's going to get a revelation. Yeah, and at least listening to her ask the question, you gave the answer. I think she was taken back because I don't think she was expecting that answer. I think she was literally waiting to, to hear something. And uh, so often I, I talk to different Christians and you always hear within the conversation, well, I, uh, well, God told me, well, God told me this, well, God told me that, well, God told me, you know, I, mean, I can't remember God telling me anything. <laughs> well, God told me to repent and believe the gospel, but that was it. <laughs> God told me to obey him. Well, it's a common misunderstanding. And what we're going to talk about in the conference is there is no technique that God gives us to conjure up God. Right? God is not uh, like the pagan gods who, if you just say Captain Mei the right way, he's going to appear and talk to you. He has spoken, yes. Oh, I've been doing some research on the whole
They hear these uneducated people, who some of whom were illiterate, so they couldn't have read, read any of the ancient mythology or anything. If Yuma is examining them, and they're telling what they're seeing, and what they saw was stuff that he knew existed in ancient Greek literature. And that were things that had been spoken in mythology and stories hundreds and thousands of years ago. And so he, he started to reason, well, here's this person who's seeing this stuff that somebody else wrote about, you know, 100 B.C., and this person had no possible way of knowing that, and it's too much of a coincidence. Therefore, there must be a connection. He assumed that the connection was this cosmic mind of the universe, and that certain people were just tapping into this higher consciousness. And then now that's commonly believed by uh, New Age. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what's happening this well, but sometimes you take it for granted. But it's talking about when you look at the scriptures and what Christ is proclaiming, it has to be from the world's own past. You look at the things that he outlined, you know, arguably, he really outlined human history. Occult means secret or hidden. 
And Deuteronomy 29.29 says the secret thing belonged to God. And, and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. They weren't satisfied with what God spoke. And they went, why did they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because, yeah, it would be, didn't Satan see God's withholding information from you? And if you get this information, you can become like God. So the occult in general is about secret knowledge that would make one like God. Now, divination is a is any sort of technique, and I have a definition I'll give at the conference, but divination covers all the techniques. It's a broad term, and I'm going to quote Eugene Merrill on this, but if you could use tarot cards, you could use crystal ball, you could use um, a Ouija board, you could use palm reading, you could use tea read, tea leaf reading. The ancient people used to get an animal, kill it, cut it open, and then look at in the guts, and then examine a liver. I'm going to quote a verse where the king of Babylon did that. And they look at this liver, and then they know certain things. Balaam was a diviner. He looked for signs in nature. Um, TV sound a lot better than cutting kind of open gut, doesn't it? But see, it, it, the techniques can be as many... When the Bible forbids divination, it's, for, it's forbidding every technique, not just the ones mentioned. Now, it mentions such things as um, making your children pass through the fire, uh, um, the necromancy, the king of Babylon threw arrows in the ground, and in a way the arrows stuck, told him certain things. Um, so the Bible mentions astrology, so, but, it, but that's not an exhaustive list, because there's, there's, there's a limitless number of ways one could come up with divination. And, and the demons can just use anything. You, you can decide you're going to examine eyeglasses and, you know, pull them up in the light and the demons don't feel it. It's probably going to work for somebody. There's, there's, and so, there, so here's, here's where our debate is with, and Brian and I are evidently in the minority in the evangelical church in saying that we can't practice divination. They just call it something else you know, contemplation and use a little different technique than any of them forbidden in the Bible. And then now they've got a Christian version of getting in touch with the spirits. And we're going to say any technique that you use to try to get secret spiritual information is divination. And in fact, 1 Samuel 15, when Saul had a clear word from God's prophet, objectively. He had a clear teaching of the scripture. And what did Saul do? He rebelled. He wouldn't listen. He said, no, I'm going to take this spoil, and I'm going to make the sacrifice, and I'm going to do it my way. Samuel came and said, Saul, you sinned. No, I didn't. The people did. No, Saul, you sinned. No, I didn't. Well, there was this bleeding of the sheep. And they were, <laughs> the sheep were all, ah, no, I didn't take any spoil. Ah. And, and so when they get into this dialogue, what did Samuel finally say? He says, this is divination. You, you departed from the objective teaching and went to, went to get your information somewhere else. And so an unwillingness to submit to the objective, clear teaching will always lead you into divination eventually because you're going to get your religion, you're going to get your spirituality. It's just not going to come from God, it's from the Bible. Yes. Um, when, when they're looking for a secret thing, is there something particular that they're looking for in a secret thing? Yes. What people are looking for, whether they totally understand it or not, is deity. Ascent to deity. Self-deification. Because that is the message of Satan since the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to preach on that this morning about the Tower of Babel. They wanted to ascend to God. And so all of these religions have to do with ascent to God or to try to dip into deity. Just a couple things. Uh, the word occult, isn't that itself demonic? Or, I mean, there is an positive thing about it. Occult means secret or hidden. Well, yeah. But, but I mean, is there any secret or hidden thing that is... The word is... The word is... One thing that Bob and I always 
And if you don't listen to, if you're not listening to Jesus, he's saying to the uh, scribes and Pharisees there that you're not listening to Moses, even though you think you are, because Moses wrote about me. Very clear. Okay, Acts 28:23. There, there was uh, Paul in prison speaking to the Jewish brothers from the law and the, from Moses and the prophets proving Jesus the Messiah from the Old Testament. That would have been fun to sit in on. Would you like to have been there? Because we can do the same. We just have to go back to the scriptures. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Because of God's grace. 
Alright, but the warning is valid. I would not do one thing to reduce this warning. By the way, talk about this debate. I just got signed up for a debate. Yeah, but I may be in over, I don't know if I'm in over my head. Uh, there's a debate, a KKMS debate for March 19th that was supposed to be between John Piper and Greg Boyd. Piper pulled out and they're going to use me for a replacement. Calvinism versus Arminianism. So it'll be interesting debating Boyd because he's he's like way fringy Arminian because he denies foreknowledge. So I don't know if that'll come up in it. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about David and Goliath thing because this guy's got a PhD. He's written ten books and has seven thousand people in his church. And I'm a little old me. He's never written a book and he's only got a master's degree and got seventy five. <laughs> I, I look forward to it because actually I like Greg. He's a very nice guy. He's just totally wrong. <laughs> Other than that, I like him. What's that? No, John Piper is not going to. I don't know why John Piper pulled out. Um, but I, you know what? I I feel very good about it because what I'm going to do is just keep going back to the gospel. And focus on that. Focus on God's grace through the gospel, and try to help the people that are coming understand the scriptures better. And because I've heard Greg before, his stuff is mostly philosophy. He's real strong on philosophy. I just found out last night. I think one of the things that I have debated is the public forum. One thing that I've debated many times, just person to person. I think one of the things that really comes back to is if you just get down to the concept of, of grace. Amen. What is grace? Amen. Is grace this um, that God, you know, put a plan into action and said, okay, let's just set this thing for you. We'll roll the dice and see what's going to happen here. And then I'll lock the door with you. I send my son to lock the door anyway. Absolutely, 
a legitimate and necessary warning that if we, there are people who've done that. Uh, if you talk to Carl Johnson, he knows people who were part of Messianic Jewish congregations who eventually decided to reject Messiah and go to Judaism and uh, without Messiah. So the warning is necessary. And people that reject Christ or renounce Christ and once knew him, uh, or at least claim they did, I don't believe they're saved. I don't believe they ever were saved. And in his terms, he'd gone on from just being a Christian. Yes. Because the Holy Spirit draws you and convicts you. It saves you. Why would he draw you away if you're truly, truly a child of God? Because there's a whole not. I've examined a lot of these guys like Salisbury and different ones now. The Holy Spirit's got me digging deeper. Well, he's the one who became an atheist. He's oh, huge. An atheist. Yeah, he has a friend, by the way, who's a carrier. other friends. And I've examined, examined, and they, they didn't have a faith in uh, Christ trusting him. Uh, when you dig and dig and dig, finally it come out of my dip. If the Holy Spirit has convicted you and you trusted Him and saved you, the Holy Spirit will keep you. You just keep digging on these people and you'll find out there's an antagonism there of some sort, but they haven't truly. He signed His name in the Bible that when you're in Vietnam, you're going to die and he trusts in the Lord. No, you've got a whole list of stuff. But deep down, when God left me examine, he did. They're antagonistic against God. Salisbury too, and he's so antagonistic, and yet he says he was a believer. I talked to many preachers, that give me two and two is what? Four. Give him the gospel? You know what? They look at me. Uh, yet they preach in Jesus, and they say, yeah, we were believers. I don't believe it. You know what, Dan? Uh, uh, talk about the Vietnam thing. When I was at Bible college, there was about eight or nine students there from Owatonna, the Minnesota. One of them was Bill Bjorken, right? And so the number of them, in fact, one in particular story was he was in this, he was in a armored vehicle, and some little kid walked, the Vietnamese kid walked across the front of the armored vehicle and dropped a grenade, but they didn't see him do it because they didn't suspect the kid would do that. And they drove up over the thing, and it pulled up under the armored vehicle. And they had just, like, the week before, got under there and welded an extra plate of steel under that vehicle. And that's what saved his life. And at that point, he decided, I better turn my life over to God because I'm going to go to hell and maybe the next one of these things is going to get me. And he ended up in North Central Bible College. And, but you know, after about a year or two, he definitely got out of Bible College, dropped out of the church, he renounced his Christianity, and spent the rest of his life living as a Yes, in this case, I didn't go to Vietnam. I went to Germany to drink a beer with the Fraulein, so I forgot about what I wrote in that commitment in the Bible. Remember what I said? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll tell it like it is. It's a gameplay. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, Ross Harkins said it. There was typos. Warnings and gift statements if you continue where you would. Colossians is one that is a copy. And you were once alienated in the hospital.
There's the perseverance of the believer. Alright? However, I believe that one of the means God uses to keep us from falling away are the warnings. Amen. And that if we discard the warnings on grounds of once saved, always saved, that's a dangerous, slippery slope. And I don't teach, I think, Brian, you were talking to me, you heard somebody teaching this, that says, well, if you ever made a commitment to Jesus, and then later you end up being a uh, whatever, I don't remember those terms, you know, an adulterer, a drunkard, a, a thief, and everything else, and you die in that state, you'll still go to heaven. That's what somebody taught? Did you, did you, yeah, he heard that? That's not the doctrine of perseverance. Alright? Uh, you, that's, that's this one saint, always saint, crass thing. Um, what's that? Yeah, exactly. It very is, very much so. But what this is saying is that God will preserve us, but one of, but how? Because we're, we'll sit here with our brothers and sisters like we're doing today, and we'll read this verse, and we'll take it with all seriousness, and we realize that we better stay with Jesus Christ because if we go anywhere else, we'll be lost. And God uses the verse to reinforce our hope and our confidence and pull us back close to Jesus. And so, uh, never try to mute any verse. Just preach it as it is. Because if you, if you do, you're uh, thwarting God's plan for the verse. I think it's the worst analogy I've used in this instance is say that uh, a father is looking over his children in a cliff and they're playing a part. And it's a cliff, you know, 50 feet away. And the father says, stay in the park, don't go over here. If you, if you go over the cliff there, you're going to die. Now, does that mean that warning was, wasn't, didn't mean anything or didn't do anything? Because you're not going to do it. The guy kept him there. And if, you, if, if one of the kids did start wandering over there, the father would come back, you know, come around back in. So the warning is still right and true. Even though the father's not going to let him go over the cliff. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. It reminds me of it. <laughs> maybe when you said that, it made me think of Hawaii. When we were over there to teach through Romans, we had a little time to go around Hawaii. It's amazing how cultures are different. You know, in Minnesota, we got a law, law for everything, so you can't hurt yourself. You know, if somebody stubs their toe on a sidewalk, they have a sidewalk law the next year. Hawaii is the total opposite. They, for instance, there's this active volcano that we went to go see this act. You know the find out about the volcano. There's an active volcano and these things crust over. Okay? And you can't tell how, how thick the crust is. And, and it could be this thick or it could be... And, and so people go walking down there to see the volcano and they fall right into the... You know, and never see them again. You know, it's almost like dropping into hell like Cora. You know? and, and so if that, if that was the case in Minnesota, they'd have a wall, 100 feet, you know, they'd have armed guards keeping it from going there. In Hawaii, they say... Well, you can walk down there as far as you want, but just be aware you might drop through. <laughs> if you want to go drop it through, you know. And there was a cliff. We went to this other place where they filmed a movie, Waterworld or something, that one that never really took off. And they have, in that part of Hawaii, which is sparsely populated, you could, there's a, a cliff, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet, right? And right at the top, this nice little green park of picnic tables and everything. And they have a little broken fence that has holes in it, you know. And, and I walked over there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I got right to the end. I looked out. It was like four or five hundred feet straight down into the ocean. <laughs> and in Hawaii, you know, if you drop off the cliff, I guess you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. If you were in Minnesota, they'd have a fence there so high that you...
painful as the pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful supervision to those who have been trained by it. Yeah, yeah, God's training us for holiness. God's training us. Discipline comes. And yeah, it's real right here. It's not just time. Discipline hurts the rod hurts. But in time, we'll heal. I got one more verse. We need somebody to read. Sam, could you read Matthew 24 13? He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Yeah. It's not who begins the race, but who finishes it. Yeah. Christ is the one who keeps us. So, uh, nothing's more important, dear brothers and sisters, than that we study the whole counsel of God, that we take every passage with due seriousness, and that we always try to understand the author's meaning. And... There are examples. I wanted to finish what I believe about apostasy. First of all, that God will preserve us as several sets of discipline to whatever means is necessary to keep us in Him. But there are literal apostates, and they are the Judases of the world who went out from us, though they were never really of us. And we can't tell. And so in a sense, it's like somebody does go jump off the cliff, like Judas did. And why does God allow there to be a Judas in his band of disciples? Well, because it's a warning. It's a warning for everybody else. When you see the Judas or the Saul, or there's several examples. You've got David and Saul, Judas and Peter. Well, Judas and Peter denied Christ, right? But what was the difference? Peter repented and Judas... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, he prayed for them all. Bill? Well, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 11, gives us the character and nature of God. And he expects us to love the truth. And God himself sends those Jews and those apostates there to promote the grand illusion of whom God is the author. Yeah, God will send a deluding influence. I will. That's one of my verses for Saturday at the conference. It's Second Thessalonians there about this deluding influence that God sends as a punishment for those who love the truth. And what is the truth? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so the whole history of spiritual warfare from the Garden of Eden until Revelation. I'm going to speak on that this morning. We're going to talk about the Tower of Babel. Can be characterized by a battle of two messages. The lie and the truth. Amen. The lie says you shall be like God. The first lie spoken in the Bible. Right? The truth says that we are fallen sinners and we need Messiah for redemption. Amen. It's the gospel. So one is an ascent to deity and the other is a willingness to repent to be a servant and receive a free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, uh, we got a half hour here for fellowship and coffee. Greet one another. And at 10.30, we'll have worship. And the message today is from Genesis chapter 11.